0: Welcome to A Longer Table Podcast, a space where curiosity and proximity will challenge everything you thought you knew. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter, inviting you to pull up a seat. You just might leave thinking, maybe we're not so different. My favorite pieces of my wardrobe come from Abel. Not only is every piece super cute and high quality, but there's a meaningful mission behind this woman run company. Able is making the table longer by adding more sizes. They offer apparel in double extra small to three X. And I have to tell you about their size swap program. It's simple yet profound when your size changes such as postpartum or when you've gone through a long period of grief, when you've started a new workout routine, Able will allow you to swap yours for another size. Take a look at their Basics We Love section, and you'll see a lot of the things I wear every day. Next time you're in need of a new pair of pants or tops, shop ableclothing.com and use code Table 15 for 15% off. Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining me at A Longer Table today. I'm so excited for this
1: conversation. Really, really glad to be here. Thanks for asking me.
0: Yeah. So you and I were just talking before we hit record about how we share some similarities in our faith beliefs and um, that this, this conversation, the conversation on abortion and unwanted pregnancies and all of that. It tends to have two main um, sides that people like to take. People either identify as pro-life or they identify as pro-choice. And that has always frustrated me as someone who does not believe in binary black and white ways of thinking or seeing the world. I really lean into the gray. And so for me, for a long time, I've really said very publicly that I vote pro-choice because I do believe um, that now, especially after being a foster parent, I've seen my I can see past my nose I see so much more know so much more and so it informs the way I view this world. That being said, I feel like I live my life very pro-life, um, but not just pro-birth um mm-hmm. and and it extends you know to black lives and to people who are incarcerated their lives matter and um it's just it's really been frustrating to me that especially in Christian or faith-based circles, this is such a divisive topic. So when I heard of your book and I stumbled upon your thoughts and opinions on this whole conversation, I was like, oh, she is the voice we've been needing. I was (laughs) so excited. Yeah. So for my listeners who don't know, you wrote a book called Ejaculate Responsibly, a whole new way to think about abortion. And it is 28 arguments. And I want to talk about those and so much more. But can I just start with, how did you end up writing this book? Is this a book you thought you'd write? Had you always wanted to write
1: a book called Ejaculate (laughs) Responsibly? Um, Definitely had no idea this book was in my future. Um, I, I have a blog called Design Mom that I've been writing since 2006. And it's got, you know, home tours and crafts and recipes and really not a lot about abortion at all. (laughs) So this is not a a topic that I knew I was going to tackle. But over the years, um, I would have these really thoughtful conversations about current events and just like difficult topics on the blog. I had this really engaged um, community and really smart community. These were like educated people. They read a lot. They thought a lot like you. They leaned into the gray. They knew everything isn't black and white. They were really wanted to discuss things. And so, um, again, over the years, I would tackle some really difficult topics and, um, I really enjoyed moderating those conversations, sharing my thoughts, thinking through issues and, um, ended up doing more and more of that. Um, I started writing Twitter threads, a lot of them went viral, you know, started really, um, thinking more about these things. So this book actually is an adaptation and and an expansion and, uh, 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 a, a further exploration of a Twitter thread from 2018 um, that I wrote, and um, and again, even then, when the, the thread first went viral, I was reached. Uh, I, I was contacted by a lot of publishers saying, "Is there a book here? Do you want to do something?" And my initial response was, "No, I don't think so." Like I've said what I said, but this thread ended up striking a chord in a way that I didn't understand when I first wrote it, um, and um, a couple years into it. I was still on a daily basis engaging with people about this thread. They would still find it even today. Now it's been four and a half years. Even today, if I go check my Twitter notifications right this second, I promise you, I can guarantee there will be someone that has just retweeted it, just found the thread wants to comment on it, wants to maybe discuss it with, with or argue, debate me about it or whatever it might be. And it's been a daily. um, It's had daily action, you know, for four and a half years consistently. So Anyway, a couple years into that, I realized, oh, I wish I could rewrite this. I wish I could share what I've learned since then, all the discussions I've had, and literally talked to thousands and thousands of people about this topic and their experiences with this topic. And um, I have more research, and I just, you know, and I know where I have you know mistakes and where I have better information and. Anyway, so I did decide there was a book. Um, but it is a funny thing to, to go, you know, my handle's design mom, and I, I'm out here writing a book called Ejaculate Responsibly. This was certainly a <laughs> guest. Um, but what it does, um, and really why I decided I did need to do a book, like it was not just something I wanted to do, but I felt like it was necessary, is I have seen, just like you mentioned, that the conversations around abortion are they're fraught, they're emotional. They, you know, it's just like butting heads. No progress ever happens. It's just um, a, these dead end conversations. They end up being very angry. And um, uh, it, I mean, it's just it's, it, they're they're fruitless. They don't progress either side. You know, no, nothing good comes of these. And I could see a way because of what I'd written and the responses and all these discussions I'd had, I could see a way where we could bypass all of the emotion, like 100% of the emotion, just bypass it and be able to discuss this rationally um, if we looked at it from another angle. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, I really, I need to write this book because these conversations are just harming us and have harmed us as a nation, as a country, as a culture for decades. And there's no, and it's completely unnecessary. And so um, I, I really wanted to write a book that wherever you are politically, wherever you are on the topic of abortion. I know where I am. You've mentioned where you are. I specifically at the beginning of the book say, I'm not going to tell you where I am. I'm not going to ask you where you are. You can certainly look me up. I'm not trying to hide it. You can Google me. (laughs) I'm not not trying to trick anyone. I just want us to set aside our current thoughts for a minute, because we're going to talk about this in a totally different way. And here's the reality anyone who has read the book wherever they are on the political spectrum anyone who has read the book has not argued with me about it has said i agree i yeah. agree no matter where they are so that's amazing
0: i love that and i believe it because as i read it first of all i love that it's so it's such a digestible digestible read it's 28 arguments um so this book is not super long you know it's not like a mm-hmm. 300 page novel um and and just for people that are curious what some of these arguments are. I'm going to name a few, but then I'd love for you to tell me maybe the two to three arguments that you feel are most compelling. Um, but yeah. but to that point, before I share a couple of them that stood out to me, I I could totally see and I can think of my really strongly pro-life friends who would read this book and say, oh, absolutely. Like I'm still pro-life, but you're right. Why have we taken on this burden as women when in fact men are responsible for unwanted pregnancies and you prove that through this book i mean so for people listening that are like wait a second that's a strong bold statement hang tight we'll get to it um but it's it's incredible and i it's sad to me that it was such a revolutionary concept like This whole time, women, we've been pointing the finger at each other like it's your job. And then some women are saying, well, but it's my body and my choice. And then the other women are saying, well, just don't have sex or whatever the case. You know, it's like we're being like ridiculous, like pointing fingers and yelling back and forth at each other on these two sides of the spectrum when actually I think both groups could say we don't want. Unwanted pregnancies. If we could prevent unwanted pregnancies, that would solve a lot of this. Okay. So, what is so? Some people say birth control is the solution to solving unwanted pregnancies, which mostly falls on women. I know you get to that in your book. Um, Some people would say abstinence, you know, there's so many takes on it. And yet, no one said, wait a second, the only way a woman can get pregnant is if a man ejaculates and pregnates you. Yeah. So, Okay. Okay. I've said a lot. I am like so fired up. I just, I want to buy this book for every person. I know men and women alike. I know my husband. Yeah. My husband saw the title and he was like, that's amazing. And he is, I would say, uh, very much a feminist and he just, it, it wasn't even a question. He was like, I totally agree. Unwanted pregnancies are on on men on us. We are the only ones that can get you pregnant. Like that's how this works. Okay. So a few of the arguments for people who are like on the edge of their seat, dying to know, um, argument number five, or I'm sorry, I read the wrong one argument. Number two, sperm live for up to five days. So we can talk about that one argument. Number five, birth control for women is hard to access and is hard to use. Also Mm -hmm. you get into the differences of, uh, there was birth control pills at one point for men, but they had too difficult of side effects, which is hilarious because the side effects for women are uh, astronomically more difficult and uh, dangerous. Um, argument number six is quite the opposite. Birth control for men is easy to access and easy to use. Um, argument number eight, vasectomies are less risky than tubal ligations. Leg- Am I saying that right? Okay. Yeah. Um number nine we expect women to do the work of pregnancy prevention number 10 we don't mind if women suffer as long as it makes things easier for men mm-hmm. oh my gosh this one's good number 12 women can be impregnated without experiencing pleasure uh let's go to a couple more 13's is the big one, the big one. don't want to skip it oh boy i'm flipping through here men cause all unwanted pregnancies. Boom. (laughs) You said it. And then you, and then you explain that let's, let's go into a few of these. Obviously there's 28, so I won't read them all. Um, what are the two to three arguments that you have felt are the most compelling in helping people see that, that last argument, we just said that men are responsible for all unwanted pregnancies. What are the two to three arguments in here that you feel like really help people grasp that and stop focusing so much on women and pro-life versus pro-choice, you know, being in those camps.
1: Well, I love, I love that you talked about that. It's a accessible book that it's easy to read. Um, one of the biggest chores in writing the book, one of the biggest tasks was like shortening, shortening, shortening. I just wanted it to be so easy to read. So 28 arguments sounds like a a lot of arguments and it is, but I want to be clear. Some of these arguments are like one page, you know, some are (laughs) like three pages. These are not long they're very simple arguments i explain why i have um extensive endnotes so many endnotes that we like they almost doubled the size of the book if we printed them so like okay we can't do that and they're online but there's a link to them it's very easy to use them um so if there's anywhere where you're like i'm not sure about that stat i don't know if i believe that there's tons of research it's all backed up it was thoroughly fact checked and really vetted um so i'm super confident about this book but um One thing that I learned in all those thousands of conversations I had on Twitter is that I introduced my key argument that men cause all unwanted pregnancies too early. And I'm so sorry, I could just hear a siren go by. I hope (laughs) that's not too disruptive. We Um, didn't catch it. You're good. We're good. So in the Twitter thread, I introduced the idea that men cause all unwanted pregnancies, like a tweet number two of like 60 plus tweets. So basically what happens is I can see immediately when someone stops reading the thread because they start arguing with whatever tweet they're on. And number two gets the most arguments. So in the book, I really tried to build up some of these biological facts and um, and just knowledge that people may or may not have before we get to that argument. So it's at the 13th instead of the second. Um, yep. Some of the things that really help them understand this is we start with just fertility, that men are 50 times more fertile than women. And we don't ever really think about that in our society. We talk a lot about women's fertility. You know, um, uh, when when I first went on birth control, um, it was when I was getting married. That was my first time. And um, I the doctor explained to me, okay, so you're typically fertile two weeks after the first day of your last period. That's a very common thing that a lot of women are told. Like, so, okay, if your period starts on a Monday, two weeks later the next monday then that's probably your fertile day. Um that's actually not true at all. Like it's just not and 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 um women's fertility is actually really really unpredictable. And we have this 8 billion dollar birth control birth control industry really aimed at trying to control and predict this uncontrollable, involuntary, you know, um unpredictable women's fertility and completely ignore men's fertility, which is the exact opposite. We always know when men are fertile because men are fertile from puberty until death with, without stopping, assuming they're a fertile man in the first place. Obviously, there are people in the world that are experiencing right. fertility. Assuming you're a fertile man, you are fertile from puberty until death. Um, we never even talk about that. Like if someone might say to me, um, well, then a woman, if, if a woman is only fertile for 12 to 24 hours a month which is a fact, an egg is only fertile for 12 to 24 hours a month, then she should just avoid sex for those 12 to 24 hours. You're like, yeah, that does sound really simple, but she has no idea when those 12 to 24 hours are. Even if her cycle is super regular, every four weeks on the dot, her ovulation within that cycle could be anywhere within 10 days each month. It, It can change each month. Like The ovulation can happen anywhere within 10 days, no matter how regular her cycle is. So then if I said, okay, well, if people shouldn't have sex when they're fertile, when should men have sex? Hmm. Um, Because men are always fertile. So like, instead of like, so if women should avoid sex when we're fertile, should men avoid sex when they're fertile? Because they're always fertile. So is that really what you want to suggest here? Like, right. right. um, So I I, I walk them through stuff like that. I walk them through birth control because the other argument a lot of people want to make is like, well, then why don't women just use birth control? There's so much birth control out there. And it's true. There's a lot of birth control out there. And I'm a parent of six. I had six pregnancies, six live births. You would think I don't know anything about birth control because I <laughs> have six babies. Actually, I have tried all of the birth controls. I got to choose when I have my babies. I'm actually very, very grateful for birth control, even though I do critique it in the book. Um, it allowed me to choose when I had it, when I became a mother. That's amazing to me. That's a that's a a wonderful, powerful thing, and, and I'm so grateful for it. Um, at the same time, I have tried every kind of birth control. Why? Because I hated every one of them, how they made my body. feel. I loved that. They were effective, but did not enjoy the side effects. Um, some women don't experience side effects from birth control or nothing that bothers them. And I'm so, I'm so glad for them. Hooray, hooray. But many Mm -hmm. women do. And some women it's bad enough. They cannot use it at all. And for other women, there's practical issues. Um, they just moved to a new city. It's hard to find a doctor. How soon can you even get to the doctor? Once you get to the doctor, you might have to return again because now you're going to get a shot or have an IUD um, placed, or, or you're having to again troubleshoot your birth control or the birth control. Even when you get it, doesn't become effective for typically about a week. You know, I mean, there's just all sorts of problems. Or maybe they just broke up with someone and they're like, should I keep taking my birth control every day? Should I? I right. When's the next time I have sex? Who knows? Or their partner is traveling or they're traveling and they don't know when they're going to have sex. Should they keep taking their birth control? They have to take it every day, whether they're having sex or not. You know, like, it's just this, it's this challenging thing for women that we don't talk about as challenging. Um, and I get, I, I mean, I think I understand why, like, we're so grateful for it. Again, we're so glad for this opportunity to be able to control our fertility that we're like, fine, sign me up. Even with the side effects, I i don't want to become a mother yet. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm willing to do this. And because that's so, because women are so willing to do that, because it's so important to be able to choose when we become mothers, that um, I think we downplay the seriousness and, and the difficulty of it. Even if you don't have side effects, the the difficulty of getting a prescription and maintaining a prescription for birth control is very difficult and very expensive. And mm-hmm. and again, we have men's birth control options that we don't even really think about as men's birth control options. And I'm speaking about vasectomies, and I'm speaking about condoms here. But they're both excellent, excellent options. And instead of treating them as like the heroes that they are, both of these options are just fantastic. For example, vasectomies are the most effective form of birth control. There is no hormonal birth control that's as effective as vasectomies. And then you have condoms, which are—I mean—we should just be celebrating them. Like, and, and instead they're just this punchline in our in our culture. They're a joke. Everyone says men hate condoms. Condoms are easily accessible. There there are free condom programs in literally every state. You can also walk into clinics and get them. Basically, on any college campus, so they're they're affordable for people. I mean, even if you buy them in the store, they're affordable. You can get a box for like six bucks. Uh, they last. You can store them for years. They do have an expiration date, but like check your box. You can store it for a long, long time. They are um, easy to use once you. Practiced, they you don't have to use them on days you're not having sex. There's, There's no, no side effects. effects. Yeah. No side effects, no prescription needed. You can literally get them 24 hours a day. There are vending machines with condoms outside of pharmacies. Like they're they're they couldn't be more accessible, they couldn't be easier compared to women's birth control. And we instead of celebrating them and acting, you know, talking about how awesome they are, we treat them like a joke. And the other thing about condoms that I really think is so important is. They are only option for preventing sexually transmitted infections and diseases. There is no hormonal birth control. The IUD, nothing will prevent this that, you know, that women can do it. it, Condoms is it, it. but it's really good at doing that. So like, and, and again, we focus this $8 billion industry on women's birth control on women's bodies and basically ignore men's bodies. And you, their ever present constant fertility. It's just bizarre.
0: Yeah. Do you think, uh, not to go way off topic, but like, do you think that's because the people who are running these industries, who are profiting off of these industries, who uh are at the have the seats at the table are predominantly men and probably white privileged men who have <laughs> right, made the decisions right, right. for I the, mean, yeah, know, like
1: so one of the one of the um arguments that we talk about. Um, is number 10. We don't mind if women suffer as long as it makes things easier for men. Um, and there's some examples in that um, in that chapter. and at, at the end of the chapters, I've included some examples. but one of them is is directly related to what you're talking about. And that is that when they were when they were testing when the medical community was testing um, the drug that later became Viagra, they didn't know it was going to become Viagra. They thought they were testing like a heart medicine okay so they're doing these tests and one of the things they discover is like oh it really helps men with erectile dysfunction that's great news that's wonderful something else they discovered that the same drug was actually super effective for women experiencing period pain like cramps any kind of like menstrual pain now in a better world than ours, they would have said, that's amazing, and pursued both of those. Let's help these men that are experiencing erectile dysfunction, which ultimately is a tiny percentage of men just during certain years of their lives. And they would have helped women, which is half the population of the earth that experiences menstruation and may or may not have pain. It's very, very common to have at least sometimes. But they decided that the Period pain, the menstrual pain was not in significant enough of a of a problem in society that they decided not to pursue that. It is so bizarre because even from a financial standpoint, what a what a absolutely nuts decision. Again, we're talking about half the population of the earth. This is something that that they experience for decades. And women control 80% of household spending. So this is. Uh, you have an opportunity to create a medicine that has a huge audience and will continue always to have an audience. And you also have an audience for Viagra clearly is done very well, but it's a much tinier audience. And they only pursued it for men. Why? Because they just, they being the white men who were on this panel, making these decisions, just discount what women are experiencing. Don't really believe it. We don't, as long as their wife isn't complaining about period pain, it must not exist. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they don't have to worry about it. But erectile dysfunction, that is a serious, serious problem. So they put the direction there. Mm. It's it's absolutely, um, it's absolutely uh, an, an issue of patriarchy. If men don't like condoms and lots of men didn't, and, and, and granted they've gotten, condoms have gotten much, much better over the years. But if you're a man that thinks you don't like condoms, you're not going to encourage condoms, you're not going to push condoms, you're going to push female birth control. Oh, she's dealing with side effects. Mm, They can't be that bad because millions of people use it. So they must be fine. And they can ignore the issues with women's birth control. And he can downplay any condoms and say, oh, well, condoms, you know, they could break or it's, you know, it's hard to find the right size or just like act like condoms are this difficult thing to solve. And I'm thinking of this is someone in authority, a doctor or someone who's going to say, no, 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 condoms, don't trust condoms. Just go ahead and, and focus on, on women's birth control. Like I can see it absolutely happening. You, you've heard of these conversations, you know, and it's yeah, wrong. It's just so wrong. Condoms are 98% of, sorry, 98% effective when used correctly. When used correctly is a big caveat there, but women are expected to use our birth control correctly. It's something we have to learn depending on the birth control It's not a lot to ask to have men learn to use condoms correctly. Yes.
0: We'll get back to the conversation after this quick advertisement. If you follow me on Insta and get my weekly emails, you've probably heard me talk about RO recently. It's seriously helping me detach from my phone more than ever before. But what exactly is it? I'm glad you asked. RO is an app that pairs with a device to ensure you don't miss out on what's most important to you. Maybe like me, you get to the end of a day or a week or even a month sometimes, and you feel like you've wasted so much time scrolling, or you wish you could go back and spend time playing with your kids without multitasking and being on your phone. Or perhaps you want to read more books. Same. Aro is one part app, one part home device. The home device is more than just a beautiful box. It doubles as a charging station and acts as a visual cue for you to put your phone down. Simply place your phone in the RO home device and the RO app automatically starts measuring the time you spend away from your phone. The app also shows you data to improve your phone habits and sends you reminders to take breaks from your phone. If like me, you want to be off your phone as much as possible and need a little motivation, Aro is for you. For just $12 to $18 a month, Aro is worth giving a try. That's about three to four bucks a week to have the opportunity for family dinners with no distraction, a vulnerable conversation with your spouse or kids, or to finally start reading that book that you may have not otherwise. Check it all out for yourself at goro.com and get your first month free on an annual or two-year membership with code Manda. Remember, when you change your relationship with your phone, you change your relationship with everyone around you, including yourself. Now, back to the show. Okay, so... I have so many <laughs> questions I want to ask. Um, I think at the heart of this conversation, something I'm curious about is: Do you believe? Because I do, um, that if men are responsible and actually can can get this, and we could culturally change things to to help boys grow up to understand that as um, as a as a boy or as a male that they are responsible for preventing unwanted pregnancies, will abortions decrease?
1: I believe yes. Um, I, I don't see any way that they couldn't. The reality is this, 99% of abortions are due to unwanted pregnancies. 99% is a very specific number. 1% of abortions are wanted pregnancies. These are medical issues that come up with the fetus or the mother, and an uh, abortion is the only way to save a life. and that's, that's it. Um, That's, but that's 1% of abortions. 99% are due to unwanted pregnancies. So we can focus on abortions. We can focus on women walking into abortion clinics and try and change their mind. But that is a ridiculous thing. It's too late. They have made their decision. Their life is already happening. The time to stop this is before the pregnancy is created. And that's good news. If that's, if that feels frustrating to you as someone, if you're listening to this and you're pro-life and you're like, that's frustrating don't let it be it's great news and the reason it's great news is because we know how to prevent pregnancy it's not magic we like know yeah. what works <laughs> and there are programs that have been tried this we, we don't even have to guess there are programs that have been tried in different states in different countries and we can see what's working so for example um programs that offer free and accessible birth control are hugely effective at reducing unwanted pregnancies and so guess what happens? They reduce abortions. So, Colorado had a really successful program with this, and you can look it up. And I have, again, links in the end notes um, where they offered free and accessible birth control. And this wasn't just condoms. I know I've already mentioned every state has free condoms. They offered the pill, IUDs, the shot, the, the, I mean, basically every option you could get free and accessible. That meant that means you didn't have to jump through a lot of hoops. You could just get what you needed, and it was free. And they saw unwanted pregnancies and therefore abortions drop precipitously, like, like huge amounts. So that's great news. I'm waiting for a truck to go by. Sorry, trash pickup. You're good. Um, the, second, the second thing we've seen that really works, and this is harder for some parents, and I understand this, but I want them to think through it. If they truly care about reducing abortion, And they, I need them to think about this. The other thing that has been shown to work really, really well is education. And I want to be clear, this is age-based education. We're not trying to talk about... Also, complicated sex with kindergartners, you know, at at that age, maybe the sex ed, the age appropriate sex ed is just telling them proper names. So they aren't freaked out by their body and they know the proper names of of their body parts. Um, But age appropriate sex ed at every grade level, not just in fifth grade at like the maturation clinic, which is all I got, um, is super effective for reducing unwanted pregnancies. Um, I know, I know, I know, I know that some people feel like teaching abstinence should reduce unwanted pregnancies, but we have data on this. And unfortunately it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't reduce unwanted pregnancies. There's so much data on this, that teaching abstinence does not reduce unwanted pregnancies. So if your goal is to reduce abortion, you have to look at these programs about sex ed, and you have to look at these programs about free and accessible birth control. And if you're suggesting anything else, nothing else has worked. So if you're mm-hmm. like putting all your time and energy into any other program, any other, like we need to ban this, we need to close down clinics, nothing else has shown that it actually reduces unwanted pregnancies that lead to abortion. Yeah. So I just want people to really understand that. And then I want you to think about that men at any time can choose to eliminate 99% of abortions, how? Simply by ejaculating responsibly. They have one one thing to do. They just need to keep their sperm away from an egg. And that doesn't mean they can't have sex. I want people to have lovely sex. Enjoy your sex life, wonderful, enjoy it. It's just ejaculating responsibly.
0: So to your point, I don't think I've ever shared this publicly, but my audience has heard a lot of my life. (laughs) I'm very, very open. Eric and I, my husband and I, for the first 5 years of our marriage, we prevented pregnancy and we didn't tell anyone necessarily how we did because our method isn't the it isn't 100% effective, but if done well, if done diligently, it is. All we did was jokingly pull and pray. Now, what I mean by <laughs> that is quite literally my husband pulled out and would not ejaculate inside of me ever, never ever ever during sex. And guess what? We didn't have a single unwanted pregnancy. Now I I know of people who joke. Even my OB at one point was like, "That's that. That's the fastest way to get pregnant." Yes, if you're not really seriously on it uh, as the man, my husband, in making yeah. sure. Because yes, there's pre com and all the things that we don't have to get into right now. So I'm not suggesting that. Like you mentioned, condoms are a great alternative. I couldn't take birth control pills. I tried. I was um, right. experiencing a ton of symptoms and side effects that. Honestly, even my husband was like, this isn't worth it. Like I was going crazy, right. like mentally, it right. was not working for me. And I tried multiple. So there's there's so much I could say, but I'm laughing because I don't know why we've spent so much energy as a country and in Christian circles and, and whatnot, arguing about pro-life or pro-choice. Even myself, I'm like, oh, I could kick myself because all I should have been saying that whole time is if we want to prevent abortions or if we want to reduce the number of abortions, then we need to reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies okay well how do we a- avoid and prevent unwanted pregnancies don't have yeah. men ejaculating irresponsibly irresponsibly right. it's like you right. laid it out so beautifully in your book so again i'm not uh saying that pull and pray is birth is a great birth control method i am simply saying that it did work for us you would have to be very diligent it's it's essentially doing the same thing as a condom uh, making sure that he isn't um uh, releasing the sperm.
1: Like Listen, positive. I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you feel a lot better. I don't even know if okay. you've got to this, but there's a note at the end of one of the chapters that's on page 34 that talks about the pull pullout method. And it I is, did. I did. I'm so glad you brought this up. It is nine. It's on page 34, 96% effective when men do it perfectly. Your husband was doing it perfectly and it was 96% effective. That's not 98% effective, which is what pills are. It's not 99.999999, which is vasectomies, but 96 is pretty darn great. And that is a, a, it is a totally legitimate option. If the husband is committed or if the partner is yeah. really committed to this, cause it's 96% of, sorry, 96% effective when done perfectly. Again, do it perfectly. And just think of that for a minute. Like that, that, and you know, it's not like I'm even angry at men, like we've taught them to think this way. So I get that, but think about that, that, that the man is saying, Oh, I would never use the pullout method because it would decrease my pleasure for three seconds. It wouldn't wouldn't eliminate my pleasure. It would decrease my pleasure for three seconds during sex. And I would rather experience those three seconds of full pleasure. I would rather do that even though it risks my partner's body, her life. People die in pregnancy all the time. It, it, it will permanently scar her body. She's going to have all sorts of complications. She could lose her job. She could lose her social status. Like pregnancy is really a life-changing thing for women. And you have a man that's saying, oh, I would never give up three seconds of slightly less pleasure. I would never give that up. It's I would much rather risk my partner's life. Can you imagine anyone like making that decision? Of course not. And if we taught them that that's what they're doing, there are men that are just jerks. There's no question about that. But in general, people are good people. And, and what I've seen from this book, again, is people will say, well, how do men respond? I have had so many men argue with me on Twitter about this. But if they've actually read the book, no man argues with me. They get it. So you can argue with me because you read one, you you know, you read just men are men cause all in one of pregnancies and you go, Oh no, it takes two. And you want to argue fine. If you have any context and you actually read the book, I have not had a man argue with me about it. And the men that are like, I would, I would never use a pull out. It doesn't feel as good. They're going to read this book and go, Oh crap.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. I
1: got to be better. And if they're a decent human being, That's what they're going to do. They're going to go into their future. Well, this is what I see happen all the time. I'm having a conversation with a man. He gets it. He's read the book. And you can see in his face, he starts thinking about every sexual experience he's ever had. He's wondering, did I ejaculate responsibly? Did I cause a pregnancy and not know it? You know, he's thinking through that. And then he's looking toward the future. And he's like, oh, I need to ejaculate responsibly moving forward. That Mm. is great. And some of this stuff, of course, I want this stuff happening at a systemic level. I want us like the whole country to understand like, this is important. I want to speak in front of Congress about this. I want to, you know, like I wanted to just be like part of our vocabulary. I really, really want that. But I know a lot of this change happens person to person that a man reads this book and gets it. Or a man hears from another man he respects. Maybe it's a young man. hears from like their friend's older brother who he thinks is really cool or whatever that the friend says, Dude, you have to ejaculate responsibly. Like, you would, should never have sex without a condom. Are you crazy? That's insane. Go learn how to use condoms. And that kid, that young man who's just starting out his sexual life, is going to be like, oh, oh, okay. Like, if someone that he trusts tells him that, he will believe it. And again, I, I, this book, I kept it short. I kept it accessible. I want people to like throw it in their backpack, leave it on the train, you know, leave, share it with people. I want it to be so so red. I, I mean, and, and you, you can't help but pick it up. You're looking at like, what in the world is this going to be? You see that title, you pick yeah. it up and like really easy to read. It, it grabs you immediately. You know, maybe yep. even like, Hmm, I think I'm going to want to argue with this and then it will convert you. I promise. But yeah. um, I don't know. It's like, it, it, those conversations are so important. And and like, if your husband could speak openly, and I know we're not like allowed to, it's like, we can't talk about the pullout method because it's a joke and it's only 96% effective. And, and, and really in practice, it's 76% effective because men don't do it perfectly. Right. So like right. It becomes this joke, I get it. But like, if men could publicly go, no, it's been great for us. Um, it works for me. This is this is uh, you have to commit to it every time. You never get to like be drunk yep. and not do it. Like <laughs> you have to like, you have to do it every time. You have to do it perfectly. Um if you can't handle it, it's not for you. Go right. get a vasectomy, you know, figure out how to use condoms, whatever. Um if we're allowed to talk about this, if men could openly talk about this stuff, how wonderful that would be. How yeah. wonderful that would be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love so much that this book takes us out of the, the, the loop that we center on these issues of when life begins and, you know, no one can mandate this over my body or, you know, like my, all the arguments that we have that tend to be centered around abortion. When really what you're just saying is let's prevent unwanted pregnancies. Let's get to the root of it before we even talk about abortion. Well, we can prevent that just if we can start preventing unwanted pregnancies. So This has been so fun to discuss with you. I love this book. Uh, I highly recommend it. I'll be linking it in our show notes. I'm going to give away one. I love, by the way, the little pop quiz for men that you included. So anyways, (laughs) like like we've been saying, and I hope that it's heard loud and clearly, whether you identify as pro-choice or pro-life or you're not sure or you think you don't care, pick this up. These arguments... I I mean, they're called arguments, but really, they're just really great short pieces on educating you as to why um, ejaculating responsibly is what this boils down to. Right. That's that's what we're talking about here. Um, it, It could really change the way you interact with people. I know for me, this book is coming in hand when I'm in conversations with people who do tend to bring it all back to when life begins or you know why it's so easy to prevent unwanted pregnancies as a woman. And they're speaking from a place of privilege and experiences that they uh, have had versus looking at it more globally and from a wider perspective with nuance. This is, this is a book that I'm totally coming back to, to say, hey, I think we want the same thing. I think we both yeah. want, there to be fewer unwanted pregnancies so that there are fewer people needing and desiring and going out to get an abortion. So if we mm-hmm. both want that, but we're arguing about these very different ways of getting there, you think shaming is going to get us there. I, you know, and then they say, you think just having a free for all is going to get us there, which isn't true, but right where we go to these things. And instead it's like, wait a second, there is actually a, another way, a third way. Um, yeah. It's amazing. So what I would love to wrap this entirely up with is you're a mom of six. Um I have a little boy who's only 2, but you know, as you were talking about the sex education right now, it started with he very much people are going to think I'm weird probably, but he sees mommy naked and he knows mommy has a vagina. He sees himself naked or he's in the bath and he will say you know, shy as penis. Like we use proper terminology. That's where we're at. Obviously we have a long, a a little bit, I want to think a long time (laughs) until we're having, you know, more in-depth conversations. But what would you say as a parent, again, for people, whether they're pro-life or pro-choice, how Mm -hmm. does this conversation about ejaculating responsibly come up as you parent both boys
1: and girls? Right. I love the question. Um, definitely. I mean, definitely. I did have teenagers in mind as I was writing this, I could picture them reading it in health class or reading it in a book club. Um, I've read it. We've read it as a family. I've read it with my teens. It's, it's very accessible for them. Um, remember none of this stuff has to be embarrassing. Like you're embarrassed as a parent, but your kids often don't know they need to be embarrassed by this, especially at younger ages, by the time they're teenagers, they may understand that. But, um, it's part of why I chose this title. This word ejaculate is like, I call it the least sexy way to talk about sex. What you'll find is when you say it, you like the first time you say it, it feels funny. It's got a lot of syllables, heart, you know, like these weird sounds. And you're like, this isn't a word I say a lot. But then you realize it didn't feel like a swear word. I didn't cuss. I didn't like, I don't feel sexy. I didn't like turn anyone on. Oh, it's like a good, safe way to talk about sex. It's a clinical term. It's a technical term. It's a, it's a textbook word. So it's yeah. a great way to talk about um, with your kids, your boys and your girls, especially their teens, to give them this this opportunity. Um, as far as younger kids, when you're actually ready to explain how sex works, you know, and, and talk about penis and vagina and how they fit together, et cetera, et cetera. When you're ready to have those conversations, which in our family we had starting at about age eight. Other families decide, you know, there's all sorts of um, there's all sorts of books on how to do it and ways to do it, and, and you can figure out what works for you and yours. But um, there's a it's a great opportunity to talk about. And then the sperm impregnates the egg to talk about that the sperm does it. So if the man doesn't want to make a baby, he can't put his sperm by the egg. Like, and and talk about that that's how it works. And um, I was never taught that, no one's ever taught, no one's ever taught about like, sperm is causing the pregnancy. Sperm is is the thing here. People are having sex all over the world right this second and no unwanted pregnancies will occur. Unless a man ejaculates irresponsibly, like it's the sperm sex doesn't cause, cause pregnancy. Sex plus sperm causes pregnancy. Like, yes. Yes. No. And it's good. And I think we need to talk about that. And so um, that can be part of your sex ed, however you're describing things. It's like people have sex that can't have babies. People have sex after menopause. People have sex that are infertile. Sex doesn't cause pre- pregnancies. Sperm does. And And yep. talk about, we got to be really careful with our sperm that is so good
0: yeah this is phenomenal i am so excited for people to get this book thank you so much from uh for joining us all the way from france for this conversation (laughs) i am so grateful thanks for asking me i love talking to you this is great